We are going to turn our attention now to the Word of God. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 8 again. Uh, We are going to begin in verse 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, there will be some the verses on the screen. Uh, I want to begin by sharing a bit of wisdom. Uh, It's sort of a saying that uh, I used to say uh, when I was a teacher. So I was an elementary school teacher for a few years. And in September, in the beginning of the year... There's something that, as teachers, we would say to each other. We'd remind each other in the staff room. Now, of course, September is the time when you get a whole bunch of new students. Everyone's new in the classroom. You're trying to establish, you know, kind of new routines and order. So we would, we would say this to each other just to remind each other. Uh, we would say, remember, don't crack a smile until the end of October. <laughs> That's what we would say. Don't, don't, don't be too friendly. Don't be too soft until the end of October. We would say that to each other because we, we knew that if there was going to be any learning that would happen this year in the classroom, what was absolutely necessary, what had to happen first is that the, the, the kids there, the students, that there would be a sense of discipline, that they would hear the voice of their teacher and that they would be able to respond to it. Once that happens, everything is possible in the classroom. But if it doesn't, then it's going to be a tough year. So, so we don't crack a smile. Don't get too soft until that has been established. That's kind of the feeling that I get from Jesus here in Luke chapter 8, because he's been speaking a lot about the importance of hearing. Uh, Last week, we we saw the parable of the soils. We keep saying, for those who have ears, let them hear. He's saying to his disciples, those who are following him, look, if you're really going to be my disciples, you need to learn to listen. Not just listen, but but hear deep in your heart. Hear to the point that my words uh, shape your faith. Hear to the point that my words shape your life. In fact, in our passage, uh, there's a a little line that he just says, take care then how you hear. See, by this point, there's a lot of people following Jesus. And yet he keeps coming back to the basics. Look, you you can't just listen. You You have to hear what I'm saying. Because he knew that there were people there in the crowds that were following him around that, that were saying they were his disciple. They were, they had faith in a sense, but they, it wasn't really shaping their life. And not that much has changed in 2,000 years. It's very possible to kind of be part of the church, to call yourself a Christian, and yet, and yet you aren't really um, influenced or impacted at a deep level by the words of Jesus. See, if we don't learn what it means to really hear Jesus, then nothing will be possible for us as individuals or as a church. And if our lives aren't actually shaped by his words, then a, a long shadow of doubt will be cast over our faith throughout our entire life. So this morning, we're going to look again at, at what it means to, to truly follow Christ, what it means to hear his words. We're actually going to look at two scenes, two short parts in uh, chapter 8. There's going to be two scenes, but one key idea. Uh, we're going to be first in a scene that I'm going to call a light in the darkness. That's verses 16 to 18. And then another scene, which is called a boat in a storm, verses 22 to 25. If you have your Bible, you might notice we're actually skipping over a small portion Uh, We're skipping over verses 19 to 21. Uh, That's because we preached through that uh, little text between Jesus and his family around Christmas time. Jacob Geberwald, our intern, preached through that faithfully. So if you want to hear that and uh, you haven't yet, go back uh, to the podcast or online. You can hear that. Uh, Great text, great sermon. But we are going to focus on the two bookends of it. So firstly, a light in the darkness. I'm going to read beginning in verse 16. This is God's word to us this morning. And here, these are the words of Jesus. As he speaks to a group of people, uh, his disciples standing before him. He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, 
covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I'm going to stop there. That's the first scene, a light in the darkness. Now, it's a short point of teaching, three verses, and it begins with a very short parable, like one, one verse, which says this, right? No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. It's pretty obvious what Jesus is saying. You light a lamp for a purpose. If you're going to light a lamp, it doesn't make any sense to put it under a bed or to cover it uh, with a, the clay jar to cover up all the light. That's not what you do with lamps. If you lit a lamp, it's, it's probably to benefit the people around you. It's obvious to us and would have been especially obvious to the people back then because they lived in a culture without electricity. So for them, dark really meant dark. No ambient light, no street lamps. It was, it was dark, dark. And light, man, that was, that was essential. If you were going to do anything after dark, especially on a cloudy night, you needed a lamp. And so no one would light a lamp in their home and then put it cover it up. You, when people come into your home, for them to see anything, just to walk through the room, they needed that lamp. It's essential. It's helpful. But of course, uh, this is a parable, which means that it has a certain level of earthly meaning, but really it's pointing forward, pointing up towards a heavenly meaning. So we need to ask the question, what, what does this lamp, what is the light of the lamp, what does it symbolize? Well, it's clear from the teaching of the New Testament that when Jesus speaks about light, really what he's talking about is the gospel. The good news of Jesus, the good news of God brought through Jesus to the world. The helpfulness of God. This is, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is, we see this connection made very clearly in a few different parts. I'm going to give you one verse, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, here, the Apostle Paul is writing and he's speaking about uh, those who don't believe. He says, in their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so there what he's saying is, look, the, the gospel is all about Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus came into the world, God in human flesh, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. It all is about the, the answer that God is bringing to the, to the trouble of the world, which is sin. So just as a light is essential just in the daily living. When it's complete blackness, you need that light for safety and for, for guidance just to, to do things. In the same way, spiritually speaking, the gospel is essential because there is a, a darkness of sin and we need the light of the gospel for spiritual safety, for spiritual growth, for spiritual guidance. But what we see emphasized here is not just that you know, the gospel is the light, but also that there is an inherent utility to the gospel, a usefulness, a helpfulness. We see this because Jesus didn't describe it like as a chandelier or, or as, a, as a golden lampstand, a candelabra. They had those things back then, especially in the temple or in the palaces. That's not how he describes the light of the gospel, though. It's not just something pretty to look at. It's something that you use, like a camping lantern, a, a, an oil lamp that the common folk would use all the time. And so what Jesus is saying, look, there's something inherently useful about this light. Something that you need, something the people around you need, which helps to guard us against um, 
sort of a misunderstanding that we sometimes have when it comes to the gospel. See, sometimes we treat it as something that is more theory than practice, like something to think about, something to believe in our mind and our heart, but not actually something that we live by. Uh, There are theologians, of course, that have thought long and hard about the truths of the gospel, and we should too. I mean, that's what the gospel is. It's theological truths about who God is and about who we are. In fact, some of the deepest truths about God are found in in the gospel. For example, uh, we learn that we as human beings are depraved, that we're corrupt, that that we on our own have gone away from the Lord. We are in our sin. That's That's a deep truth that we learn about ourselves in the gospel. We also learn that God is, God is angry at those who have disobeyed him. That there is a righteous judgment that comes because of sin and because of the sin in our own hearts. We see the incarnation of Christ. That this amazing, mind-blowing truth that the divine, infinite being who is God the Son came and took on human flesh, became a, a finite being in a sense. We also see the atonement. We see the theological truth that Jesus came in human form so that he might sacrifice himself and make up for the, the penalty of our own sin. All of these are theological ideas that are like deep end of the pool ideas. Like you should sit, we should sit and think about these things. It's good to do that. If you're a believer here, those should be the things that you meditate on, but we shouldn't have the impression that that's all we should do because the gospel is just as practical as it is theological. It really does help us. For example, those truths, they impact our lives. Uh, By seeing the lostness of our sin, when we actually understand that and appreciate that, it gives us great insight into the the turmoil of our lives. We can see the root cause of a lot of the problems when we understand what sin is. By entering the world to save us, Jesus makes it very, very clear that, that we are loved, that we are valued, even though we are sinful. We are worthy of being redeemed. By taking our place In the darkness of God's wrath on the cross, Jesus gives us a hope that is rooted not in ourselves. So it means that that weight that is placed on us to to be good, to find joy, happiness, and purpose on our own, that's lifted off of us. That's, That's helpful. That speaks life into the living of our lives, very practical. And of course, by rising to new life, Jesus gives an answer to the fear that we have of death. See, the gospel is is not just something that's pretty to look at and think about. It is something that brings real hope. J.C. Ryle articulates it really well. He's a pastor from England in the 1800s. He says this, The gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant to reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, you have this light. Now, for the people there in front of them, They didn't have the full gospel. They didn't know yet what Jesus would do, but they had enough of the light to know that he was from God. They had the power of God, and increasingly in his ministry, Jesus was showing them more and more light. His point is, look, the light that you have, why are you covering it up? Why Why aren't you showing it? Why aren't you letting it shine? And of course, this is our key idea. The key idea for the morning, bridging the two parts we're going to look at is this. True disciples shine the light of Jesus. There's a song about it, which I will not sing for you, but you might know it. (laughs) True disciples shine the light of Jesus. This is not something new. If you've been a part of the church for any length of time, this is a point that is made fairly often because we see it throughout Scripture. 
that the light that we have received in Christ, it is a light that we are to, to shine out into the world. But, but what we might not think about very often is, is practically speaking, like, what does that look like? What exactly does it mean to, to shine? How do we allow the light of the gospel to, to shine in our lives? Well, of course, it has something to do with evangelism. That, that's the obvious point that most people make in looking at a passage like this. Look, if, if you are a Christian, then you, need to, you should tell others about the hope that you have. You should help people to see the darkness of sin and the light of Christ and, and that they might come to faith, and that's absolutely true. We can't hope to shine any light if we aren't sharing the gospel. But it's not only about sharing those essential truths of the gospel. Sin, cross, resurrection. It's, it's that. But it's more nuanced than that very often. See, it's also about helping people see the practical helpfulness of the gospel in everyday life. So I want to give an example of, of what I think Jesus is really calling his followers to do in terms of not keeping that lamp under a bed, but bringing it out. There's opportunities we have to bring it out, to allow it to, to help the people in our lives. So, uh, as an example, uh, imagine for a moment that you are a young adult, a uh, girl, imagine in your 20s, and uh, you are at work and you receive uh, a text message from your friend. And there are a lot of emojis with a lot of teary eyes, okay, a lot of crying involved. And so you know something's up, so you call your friend, and as soon as she gets on the phone, your friend is, is like, my life is over. Todd dumped me, and I don't think I'm going to be able to live, and I need you to get some ice cream. I need you to come over right away. And you're like, oh, man. So your friend is distraught. She's, you call your other friends. We've got to go over, right? get some ice cream. We've got to help. So you, you come, and you do what I think girls do, which is you come, and you talk, <laughs> and... Uh, and you try to comfort this, this poor, your poor friend. Todd has dumped her. She feels horrible. She, and so you're there. You are a believer. But these are friends from school. They're not really part of a church. And so a lot of the advice that is offered is, is not surprising, but it's, it's not one that you would totally agree with. For example, the friends right away, they start to, to rag on Todd. Todd. That Todd, he is a jerk. I've never liked Todd. I don't like the way he, I don't like the way he treated you. I don't think he appreciated you. Todd is missing out. What you need to do is to go, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow night, we're going to go to a club. You're going to find another guy who's better than Todd. You're going to hook up with him, and then Todd's going to hear about it. He's going to know that he missed out. Right, girlfriend? That's what you need to do. I think that's what they would say. So, so here's the thing. In that moment, you, you as a Christian would, would know, look, that's, that's actually not the most helpful advice. Your friend is, in a real sense, in the dark, just... It, you know, metaphorically, stumbling around in the dark, feeling, feeling alone, feeling forgotten, feeling like no one really cares about her, that she's not worth much. You know that the answer to that is not really to find another guy. That that is not going to address those deep longings that she has in, in her heart. You, you know what she really needs is the light of the gospel. To, to know the gracious love of God, the, the deep love of the Lord, that in every instance, no matter how good we are or bad we are, Jesus loves us deeply that he's never going to abandon us. But of course, you have a, a decision to make. It's, it's a bit of a challenge. How, how do you bring that gospel light to bear in that situation? You might not want to stand up, rebuke your friends, take out your pocket Bible and start to preach to your friend. You, there's light in that, but it might not be the right way. <clears throat> so how do you do it? The temptation, of course, is just to take that light and put it under a bed. Just, just not share it because you're, you're worried. But... But what if you were to wait for the right moment? 
Just for example, if, if you were to shine your light in this way, what if, what if the other girls left and just before you, you left, you said, look, to your friend, and I really do know what you're going through. I mean, there's, there's been times in my life when, I mean, I, I have been dumped. There's been people who disappointed me. I just felt so, so low. But, but listen, finding another guy is, is not really going to be the answer. Because even if he's a great guy, he's going to disappoint you. He's going to do something to make you feel worthless again, and then where will you be? See, look, I, I don't want to overstep things, but would you mind if I just shared with you the, the difference that knowing Jesus has made in my life? The, the love, security, and worth that I feel in knowing, in knowing Christ. Now, in that moment, she could just say, you know what, thanks, but no thanks, and that's fine. That, that's her choice. But it may be that she wants to know more. It may be that the conversation would develop. You just share what, what it means for you to have this, this gospel light and you have the opportunity to, to shine it. That, that, I think, is what Jesus is getting at, that our entire lives, the people around us, that we look for those opportunities to really impact them with, with a light because we see them in the dark in a way that maybe they don't, they don't see. See, the people that Jesus was speaking to, I mean, I don't think they were crying over ice cream, of course, maybe goat's milk, I don't know. They're not crying in that way. But they were real people with real lives. And they had struggles. And in some way, the light that they had received from Jesus, they, there, was a, there was a struggle in their own heart to share that, to tell others, maybe just to say, look, there's this new rabbi. And, and man, you have to come and hear him. You have to hear what he's going to say. But they're, they're worried because the other people in the synagogue are like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. There's a struggle in their own hearts for them and for us. And, and things that we should be wondering is, why is it that there's such a struggle? Like if you're a believer, if, if this is something you, you profess to have faith in, what, what is the struggle there? Well, I mean, of course, one of the things that we're worried about is just we're, we're nervous. We're scared of what people might say. We're worried about being awkward in the relationships with the people that we know. But I think there's something even deeper that, that's the root of, of that kind of fear. So let me ask you this. Um, what kind of person would not turn on the light in a dark room? Imagine the room is strewn with Legos and you're barefoot, right? What kind of crazy person would not turn on the light? What kind of person would not light a lamp in the forest, in the, in the pitch black? What kind of person wouldn't see value in light itself? And I think we know the answer. The answer is that someone who is blind, someone who's physically blind, who can't, actually see the difference between darkness and light, they would see no value in lighting a lamp. Whether a lamp is on or off, whether it's under bed or anywhere, there, there's no real impact because they are simply unable to receive that light, able to tell the, the distinction. And you know, the Bible speaks about spiritual blindness. Jesus speaks to the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He calls them blind guides, blind fools, because they were supposed to be leading people to God. But what they were saying is, look, to get close to God, you just need to be perfect. You need to follow all of these commands, do everything perfectly, then God will accept you. And Jesus says, you're fools. You're blind. You can't see the light of the gospel, the grace of God, the love of God. You're the blind leading the blind. In fact, we saw that in the verse we looked at earlier. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4 again. Speaking again about those who don't believe. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What it's saying there is that the God of this world, the devil, 
in conjunction with our own sin brings a spiritual blindness so that we don't really see the value in all that Jesus is saying. We might receive it to some extent, but not to the point that we would really go and tell others because we can't see how it would really help. But notice in our text, Jesus is speaking to people, I mean, they believe. They say they believe. These are not unbelievers who we can understand their blindness. They don't really see light. These are people who have, in some sense, received the light. And yet Jesus is saying to them, look, you're, you're professing faith in one sense, but there's an inconsistency between that and the way that you live. Because you say you believe and you're acting like a blind person. You're acting like someone who doesn't see the value of the light that you have. And the problem with that is, is that when you have that kind of superficial or pretend faith, there are consequences that come from it. And in the next two verses, Jesus uh, gives two consequences of a pretend, of a superficial faith. So here's number one. Uh, He says that pretenders only deceive themselves. Look at verse 17. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So he's saying, look, you may think that you have everyone fooled, but in the end, everything is going to be made known. People will see clearly the the level, the reality of your faith. One of the commentators commented on this part like this. Michael Wilcox said, It is impossible to permanently hide where one stands in relation to the gospel. What is hidden will come out sooner or later. The danger is that the man who thinks he has received the gospel and keeps it hidden may find out one of these days when he comes to look for the reality of the gospel within him, that it is not in fact there and never was. See, there's some sense in which we receive light, but then we're so in the habit of just putting it in the drawer, we don't see really any value in it. And then at a certain crisis moment of our life, we, we dig deep and think that we have some sense of faith and we find that we don't really believe. Jesus makes the connection between a life that is, is a pretending in our faith and in the end not having that faith. Uh, The second thing is is this, pretenders end up empty-handed. Verse 18, Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now in one sense, you might say, man, that doesn't sound fair. It sounds like, you know, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. The ones that have, why do they get more? And the ones that don't have, why don't they get anything? Well, what Jesus is articulating is not not like a, a consequence, not a punishment. He's simply articulating the natural outcome of someone who has real faith and someone who doesn't. He's saying to the person, the person who has real faith, that means they will live by faith. That means they will take steps of faith in their life. Because of their conviction, because of their trust in God, they will do things like give sacrificially, serve sacrificially. They will put themselves in situations where they are, they are brought to the brink of their energy and effort and they're on their knees and they're praying, God, I need your help. You've led me to this place. Maybe I'm on missions. Maybe I'm just in conversation. I don't know what to do. Please help me. Give me what I need to grow spiritually. And the answer from the Lord is absolutely. And so they grow in faith. They begin with genuine faith, live by it, and continually grow and grow because they're using it. That's just what happens when you have faith and when you step out in faith. But to the person who doesn't really have faith, who has some superficial interest in in Christ, that person tends not to step out in faith, 
tends to live life by their own wisdom, keeping their, their cards you know, close to their chest, not putting themselves in a situation where they're really put out. And so they live a life that is in, in many ways calm and peaceful and, and prosperous, but they haven't grown spiritually because they've never exercised the faith that they said they had. And at the end, when they look and find out where that faith is, they realize, actually, I, I don't see any evidence that I have real faith, that I really believe. Jesus is saying this is the danger of, of having a, a false sense of, of faith. And just because you show up at church, just because you stand there before Jesus listening to him speak, he said that's not actually the test. The test is are you, are you letting the light you have shine in the world around you? Jesus is saying, look, if you really hear my words, if you really believe this, then we will see evidence of it. The people around you will be impacted by the hope that you have. True disciples, Jesus is saying, will shine the light of Christ. So let me ask you, if you're here this morning and you would say that you're a Christian, are things less dark in the lives of people around you because you're there? Are things brighter? Is there more light in the people that you have relationships with? I don't just mean, like, are you encouraging? Do you have people over to your house? Are you, you know, friendly with them? Do you have a great time? Send them on their way. Man, I love hanging out with that person. Not just that. That's great. That's fine. But the question is this. Do the people in your lives have a clear idea of who God is because of their interactions with you? Do people understand the love of Jesus better because of the way they see you live, because of the things that you say? Are people turning from sin? and trusting Jesus more because of your interactions with them. Because this is, this is what it means to shine the light. These are the kinds of conversations that God is calling us to. So you might say, well, you know what, Matt, there are, there are actually some situations where that's happening. There's this guy I've been praying for, this, this girl in my street, I've been praying for them. We actually sort of had a bit of a conversation where I was able to, you know, just share some of my hope or just ask about her. I felt like I was getting closer and closer to actually sharing the gospel, maybe. There's someone else who I've been reading the Bible. It's someone from my community group, someone from my work. And we're actually talking. I mean, they want to grow and, and I think God's put me there to help them grow. Praise God. That's fantastic. That, that's just the natural things that should be happening for those that are part of a church. But you might say, man, I don't, I don't know if that's actually happening in my life. I want it to. I hope that that will happen, but I, I don't know. It just it hasn't really happened yet, and I'm not sure what to do about it, how to bridge the gap between what I, what I do believe but living that. It's always a struggle for us to bridge that gap. But there are two things, two things that we need to see clearly, that when we see them clearly, it will be easier to, to shine the light that we will be better able to see the opportunities that God has given us to, to shine light, to speak gospel truth, and to overcome any fear we have. The two things are these. We need, to, we need to see clearly the needfulness of humanity and the helpfulness of Jesus. We need to see that the need that we are all in apart from God and the extent to which Jesus helps us. And, and in our second scene, remember two scenes, uh, we're going to see a picture of both the needfulness of humanity and the helpfulness of Christ. So, we're going to move from a light in the darkness to a boat in a storm. I'm going to again read to you from the Word of God, beginning in verse 22. This is a new day, different 
time, this time Jesus is just with his 12 disciples. And here's what happens. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? We're going to stop there. So we have here a very, I think a very clear picture of dramatic need on the part of the disciples. You can see there the language that's used. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, an inland lake, and it it speaks about danger. They they come to Jesus and say, Master, we're perishing. We're about to die. They're not over-exaggerating. This was a a lake. A lot of inland lakes have uh, massive and very quick weather changes. And so it's This is something that would happen all the time, even uh, to those who were experienced on the lake. A lot of the disciples were fishermen. But even then, the waves could easily have been so big, the wind so strong, that they were overwhelmed. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, look, if if something doesn't change, we're going to die. This boat's going to flip over. We are going to drown. You have to do something to save us. That's the dramatic need of humanity. And of course, we see his powerful help. The climax of the scene is Jesus standing up Right, kind of groggy-eyed and just almost casually rebuking the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. Now this isn't a parable. This actually happened. But it does have parabolic implications because Jesus, he speaks about this situation and connects it to their faith. He says to them, after everything's quiet, look, I mean, he just says, where is your faith? It sort of has the same... Uh, emphasis as the, the light. Think about the light. You take care how you hear. Are you actually hearing me? Do you believe in me? You get the sense that he's saying, look, haven't you been with me long enough to not be worried about a little thing like a storm? D- don't you know me well enough yet? And the answer obviously is, is no. No, they didn't know him. In fact, that's what they say. They say that next to each other after he goes to the side of the boat. They say, who is, who is this? Who is this guy? We, we thought we knew him. We, we knew him to be a rabbi, to have the power of God, but he just spoke to the clouds, to the wind, and it listened to him. Who is this? But the answer to their question is right there in front of him. In fact, it's part of their question. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? The fact that they are fearful and they marvel, that's what the language says, shows that they, they really do know who he is. Because they knew their Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's very, very clear there's only one being who commands the natural powers of the world and they obey. And that's God himself. In fact, they might have had Psalm 107 ringing in their ears. Here's here's a part of it. Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves and the sea were hushed. See, God is the only one who commands the sea and the wind. The disciples knew that. And what we have here then is a, is a picture, a picture of the, of the beautiful power of Christ. It's an opportunity that God gave him. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like we took a wrong course and we shouldn't have been out on the water. God brought them there to that moment so that Jesus would be able, would be able to reveal his divinity. 
that he would be able to help them to see the light even more brightly, even more clearly. Look, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm not just from God, I am God. You, sh- you should know me by now. You should know what I'm capable of. You should know my love for you. If you really had faith in me, you would, you would see this, and we are meant to see it as well. Th- this, this scene that God gives us early on in the book of Luke, it's like a beacon of light. It's a light that, that shines the divine identity of Christ so that we might see him very, very clearly because we see in it not just his divine power, but we also see the warm glow of his love. I mean, isn't that what humanity needs? That we might understand not just that God is powerful, but that he really cares for us. See, don't miss the fact that in their moment of need, Jesus is right there beside them. I mean, he's in the boat. He's with them. And when they turn to him, he, he reacts immediately. So this picture, it isn't, it isn't meant to communicate to us, hey, whenever you're in a difficult time, whenever anything troubling is happening, you just go, you pray, and God will deal with it right away. That's what we want. That's what we think is best. But in fact, God's plan is better. His plan is for us to deal with the circumstantial, earthly difficulties of life by growing in in trust, by growing in faith. But ultimately, ultimately, this scene points forward to a threat that that will bring ultimate darkness into our lives, sin itself. And ultimately, Jesus does the same thing that he did there on the boat, on the cross. He rebukes the threat in our lives. He rebukes Satan. He rebukes sin. He rebukes death and he brings peace. See, this is the light of the gospel. And when we see these two things very clearly, that each of us is in need, just like those disciples in the boat, and that we have opportunity to receive the helpfulness of Christ, why would we ever keep that to ourselves? Would we not then look for every opportunity in the people around us to bring that kind of love and hope? And look, it may not be immediate, there may be someone that you pray for, for for days and weeks, months, years. But you're, you're hoping, you're praying, God, I pray there'd be an opportunity at some point in this person's life for me just to share the light of the gospel. But for this moment, I'm going to be faithful in prayer. Over here in this moment, I'm going to be faithful in, in saying something because it's right now that they need to hear it. See, when we see that humanity is desperately needy and that Jesus had, has answered that need completely for all time, then we will overcome some of those obstacles that we have of of fear and awkwardness. See, true disciples shine the light of Jesus because we understand the value of the light and we understand the the terror of the darkness. Now, I wanted to to end with kind of a a modern-day picture of this kind of dynamic between light and darkness. And so I came across a story that I think articulates this really, really well. So this is a story that I heard about uh, the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, This is something that happened in Puerto Rico a couple years ago. Uh, In 2017, Puerto Rico was hit by a hurricane, massive hurricane, Hurricane Maria. It was a Category 4, almost 5 hurricane. 155 mile an hour winds hammered the island of Puerto Rico and left it devastated. There's some of the damage. You can just imagine for a moment what it would be like to come out of your house after this massive storm and just see... I mean, everything pretty much destroyed. One of the greatest difficulties in terms of rebuilding Puerto Rico was the fact that their power grid was completely wiped out. 
They had six power stations, power plants on the island. Only one of them was operational. And every time they tried to fire up the, the power plant, the draw of electricity was so high that it would crash. They have to reboot all the computers, this massive thing. They were trying initially just to power the hospitals and the government buildings, but even that, it kept crashing. Because of this, and because of the fact that the infrastructure itself, all the power poles all over the island were damaged, all the transformers were damaged, the crews had to go out and basically rebuild the entire power infrastructure. Because of that, it meant that portions of Puerto Rico were without power for close to a year. I mean, just think about that for a moment. We've had some power outages here which have lasted, what, six days? I think a couple years ago. And at that, we were, we were frustrated by the end of that. We say, when are the lights going to come on? When, are we, when can we just get back to our regular life? The, the Puerto Rican people were frustrated by that, but they were also frustrated by the fact that the power company had no uh, communication channel set up. So for us, you know, right away when there's a power outage, we go listen to the radio and BC Hydro is telling us right away, okay, look, this many people are without power. Here's where we're working. It's going to be on in a couple days. It's encouraging. It's comforting. We know what's coming. But for them, it was silence. They didn't know when or if they would ever get power. So there was one man who worked for the power company. His name was Jorge Bracero. And he decided to do something about it. So there's uh, Jorge. He uh, decided to start posting on his Facebook page where the power company was working. He wanted just to let people know. And so this is what his page would look like. He'd say, okay, here's what's going on today. We're working here and here and here. And his hope was that it would encourage people, that they would know, look, there is something being done. Uh, his Facebook page became kind of the hub, the cultural hub of information, frustration, but also encouragement in this time of difficulty for the Puerto Rican people. He became kind of a cultural folk hero. Uh, people began to send him messages like, oh, thank you, our power's back on, we're so excited. They began to send him videos, and he would say to them, look, post it on my Facebook page. I want to encourage the people who are still in the darkness. When you get power posted there, it'll encourage those people who feel like it's never going to happen. So what I want to do is just briefly look at a couple of these videos just imagine in your mind, the first uh, little video, it's all shot like on iPhones, people recording this. The first is just of a street that's been without power for months and months. The power finally comes back on. And the second part is of a school that finally got power after months, and the kids are, just go bananas. Let's take a look. Man, they're excited. We don't get that excited when the power comes back on, <laughs> right? Why? Because think of the difference. They, they really know what it means to live in the dark, right? They've been for months and months not being able just to do the most basic things like cleaning clothes or any electricity. And, and now the lights come back on, man, they are ecstatic and rightly so. They are people that know the value of darkness and the value of light. And what Jorge said is that, that see, the challenge of this situation was that in the darkness, it wasn't just the inconvenience. It wasn't just that life became more difficult. He said there were some deep scars that happened, some wounds that happened into the psyche of Puerto Rico. He said what, what people began to feel is that they began to feel forgotten, abandoned. Imagine months, five months, six months, there's still no power. You, you would feel like no one cares about you. No one's doing anything to help you. And so what he said is, is that... For those that had power, his words to them were, were not just, look, here's the information, here's what's happening technically. What he really tried to push people to do, he would post messages and say, look, if you have power, encourage the people who don't. 
He, he was worried that on streets where for some reason this half would get power and months later this half would get power, there'd be animosity, there'd be a sense of difference, there'd be a sense of injustice. And what he said to the people who have light is, look, remember what it was like to be in the darkness. Look at one of the posts. I think his words are, are very powerful. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this to the people all over the land. I know that next to you everything is in darkness, but it's going to light up. If you are already powered up, help the ones in need. Do the best you can. Make ice. Clean their clothes. You are not forgotten. You are never alone. This moment will pass. You can just imagine those people screaming, celebrating. We have power. We have light. What's the next thing that is hopefully on their hearts is, is my neighbors. They don't have it yet. They're still in darkness. And the natural, the natural value of the light is one of seeing those who are still in darkness saying they, they need help. It's not enough just that I have the light. I need to go and, and let it shine. That, that's exactly the same thing that Jesus is saying. To those of us who really understand the, the darkness of sin and the light of the gospel, how could we ever have a lamp and put it under a bed? How could we ever cover it up? How could we not go out into the world, living our lives and looking for those who are in need and saying, look, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that Jesus has come to save you, that in those moments of despair, those moments of darkness, there are answers? I know because I've experienced it. That's, that's not the duty of those who profess faith in Christ. That's the joy. That's the joy of being able to bring light in, into darkness. And by God's sovereign hand, he's decided that we as the church, that's our job. That's our joy. So my encouragement to you, the exhortation that we have from this text is, is let us be that kind of people. If, if you're a Christian here this morning, whether you're part of our church or some other church, let us be that kind of people. And if you're here this morning and, and not yet a believer, my, my encouragement to you would be, look, in those times of darkness, there is an answer from God that we see it in the person of Jesus who came not only to bring just circumstantial, immediate help, but eternal help, an eternal answer to the darkness of our lives. Praise God for the light. May we be a people that shine it. Let's pray together. Lord God, I, I pray that we would be this kind of people. I pray, Lord, that the joy we saw there on that street in Puerto Rico, Lord, that that would be the joy that we show in our lives. That, that we, in every circumstance, we, we point to you because because you are the answer, not just because we know it's the right answer, but because it actually does have practical help. You, Jesus, are of practical help in our lives. You change the way that we see ourselves and the world. You give us hope and love. And Jesus, I pray that we would just see it as such a, such a joy, such a privilege to be able to go and shine that light into the lives of the people around us, Lord. We, we know that there's so many still in darkness. We pray that, that our church, the other faithful churches in the Tri-Cities and beyond Ridge Meadows area, Lord, that there would, be, there would be beacons of light there where people, through relationship, through interactions, through your sovereignly appointed opportunities, we would have the courage and the love just to say, look, can I share with you about what it means for me to know Christ? And I pray, Lord, that in that, many, many people would be saved from the darkness in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.